Amen. 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 All right. Hey, uh, <laughs> welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Vince. I hope you guys are having a great morning. Um, could you guys do me a big favor? We, uh, this is our second week, obviously, in this space. Uh, we had a whole bunch of volunteers that showed up early this morning at 7 a.m. to help set up. Would you guys just thank them for me, please? They're great. You guys are awesome. So, um, Turn your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 again. We are in week 3 of our Advent series. Advent just means kind of the arrival or the coming of something. In this case, obviously, it's the Advent of Jesus that we remember. We get the privilege of existing on the other end of something that for generations people longed for, and that was the arrival of the Messiah. Now, for 2,000 years, the church has had this opportunity to look back on that moment and come to a time that we celebrate now and, uh, and rejoice and get fuzzy. Should I move this way? All right, well, we're just going to deal with it, so sorry. So anyway, so we have the opportunity on the other end to kind of be able to look back on, well, Jesus has come, he has arrived. What does that mean for the people of God? Now, we started off this series by saying, listen, what, what does it mean for the people of God to rejoice? And is there something that's, I guess, maybe able to be accessed by the people of God that isn't just readily available to the rest of the world because of the work of Jesus in our lives? And we think one of those main things is joy, right? And, and so we're not talking happiness. Are we switching that? Cool. Thanks, Curtis. Everyone thank Curtis. Hello? Oh, man. All right. This, this is going to get fiery. So, okay. Uh, so we have the opportunity then to, to look back on this and celebrate in this way that we get joy. And so joy seems to be this, this other thing than happiness, right? Like it, it's, it's not just this thing that kind of comes and goes, but is available and, and should be actualized for the people of God at all times because of what God has done. And so we talked about this just uh, on, on week one, uh, that this is possible because of who God is. And then last week, we kind of moved in this idea through Anthony, right, that um, if we're humble, that God then moves present with those people to exalt us in that moment. And so joy then becomes the natural response to that. Uh, today, we get a focus in on the third of these ideas and the focus is on hunger. And so let me, let me read to you what's going on in this story. What we have here is, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's just been told by an angel that she's going to give birth to God, right? Like she's just hanging out. An angel shows up. You're going to give birth to a baby. She says, I'm a virgin. That's not possible. He says, don't worry. We're doing a different thing here. Uh, and, and so you'll have a baby and you'll name him Jesus and he will be God in the flesh. The Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And she says, all right, let's Let's do it. And so sign me up. She goes out to meet her relative Elizabeth, and then she breaks out in song in what we call Mary's Magnificat, or she magnifies the Lord. And so we actually were able to find and track down a picture of her singing. If we could just throw up that photo real quick, um, you'll see what we're talking about from back 2,000 years ago. So that's Mary <laughs> Poppins. Actually, it's a different a different Mary. But that's the idea. So I really do, I want you to think of this picture. She walks out. She's so full and filled with joy that the only natural and normal response of her is in the middle of the street for her to start singing, okay? Like if you saw someone do this now, you'll think they're crazy, okay? Like if you're walking around with your spouse or your friend and they do this, you might be asking some questions, right? 
But we know that what drives Mary's exclamation in joy is that she's about to give birth to a baby that she did not expect and that now her whole world is turned upside down. And so here's the song that she sings. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And here's what we zoom in on today, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So, so the Christmas story then becomes a hope to us as well because somehow in the midst of the upside-down craziness that is now Mary's life, the thing that marks her is joy. And she begins to exclaim to Elizabeth and to whoever who would listen now to us and we open up the scriptures, these ways that we too might enter into that rejoicing and look more like Jesus. Now what I find really interesting is three of the driving forces behind her joy that we've looked at the last two weeks and now today seem very backwards to what the world would exalt and say this is the way you access goodness and joy for your life. The first one that we looked at in week one was fear and awe, which in our culture I think has been rather replaced with strength and self-sufficiency. So it's not about looking to the other. It's not about lowering self and saying, no, I honor, I worship, I go there. It's, it's worship self. It's you are self-sufficient in you. You are powerful. You are strong. And so we build up this culture of us-centeredness. And so it's not about fearing and having awe of something else. It's about having fear and awe of yourself. The last week we talked about humility, which now I think in our culture is replaced with what? Pride and self-centeredness. And so now it's, it's not necessarily about lowering self, but rather what can people do around you to serve you? H how does the world work in a way that makes your life better, your life easier? Okay. And then today, hunger... It's not seen as a gift or something to move us to joy, but rather has been replaced with gluttony and excess, with abundance beyond necessity. And, and church, I really feel like we have fallen prey. We have fallen into the trap that is the way the world says we should understand stuff and food and belonging and et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully today we can reorient some of that and realize that even in the midst of Mary having little, having none in many ways, there is still joy to be found. That even for us who would enter in the room today, that maybe just life right now is just, it's just a mess, right? Like things are not going the way you expected them to be going for you right now. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe it's somewhere, it's a hybrid, right? Like there's most, like there's all these great things, but then there's this massive thing that hangs over you that you're trying to navigate. And in the midst of it all, could joy be present? Is there this worthy movement of God into our lives to say, no, in the midst of all that, that's when we can be joyful. That's when we can be this amazing apologetic to the world that says, why would they still sing even though life seems a mess right now? Okay. That maybe joy isn't on the other end of our trial or on the other end of our suffering, but maybe joy is offered right here in the moment. And so to break this down today, what we're going to do is look at three points, right? So if you're a note taker, you can jot these down. Three points. The first point is this. Hunger is a gift. The second one is excess is a curse. And three is Jesus is our fill. Okay? 
So let's start with the first one. Hunger is a gift. Now, um, how many people believe that? Like, like right now, like if I came to you and I said, hey, if you're hungry, or maybe if you're not, if I just told you, actually, that hunger is a gift to us. How many people buy into that proposition? And, and there's not going to be a ton of us. Now, I want to say this on the front end of that idea. That there are real situations of poverty and hunger in our world that must be addressed. And we're going to land there, so we're going to come back to that. But if that's just kind of lingering in you, when I say hunger is a gift, and you immediately go to, well, there's people that have died because they have not had. And I completely agree, and the gospel addresses that as well, and this story does too. But if you can put that just to the side for a moment and just sit in this reality of what the scriptures would so point the people of God to about this reality, and then we can begin to unpack from there. And so, church, I, ho I hope you like the Bible because we've got a lot of it today. And so, um, le let me share a personal story before I jump into the scriptures. My, my mother was born in South Vietnam uh, about... 10 years prior, or about 15 years prior to the war, and then kind of lived kind of through most of the war. Uh, she lived in a small kind of two-bedroom uh, townhouse, two-and-a-half-bedroom townhouse, with her and her 13, 14 siblings and her parents, right? And they didn't have very much, right? Um, to the point now that if you eat dinner with my mom, like some of you have met her, like if we get like a whole chicken, like she eats like the whole chicken, right? Like the bones are getting chewed on, like every bit of the chicken does not go to waste. Like when you get the, you know when you guys, uh, for Thanksgiving you did the turkey, and you have to dig inside and get that bag of all the stuff you're supposed to pull out? That's her favorite part, right? Like loves the stuff we all throw away. And it was because growing up, that's just, you had to eat what was provided because there wasn't much there. And so even I've talked to my mom a little bit about this idea over the years since she became a Christian about this movement because she's come and now lives here and has abundance and has all this stuff. But the reality of what she is internally and the way she views possession, she is the most generous person I've ever met in my life. Like there is not a person that is more self-sacrificial, giving, loving, and generous than my mother. And she would tell you in every single moment that you could ask her that it was because of the way she was raised. And I'm telling you right now, the way she was raised to think about stuff and resource and money and food is not the way we are. Okay? And so that undergirds a bit of this. There's, there's, there's a bit of angstiness to it. It's a bit heavy for a Christmas sermon, which Anthony's was last week, too. We kind of joked about this week. We're like, hey, you guys are all proud jerks. And, and also, you rich people, you're all going to hell and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> so that being said. Hunger is a gift. The first verse. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8.3, going to Old Testament. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so if you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament law, the law books, the Torah. Um, it is kind of chronicling some of the history and the law that is leading the people into the promised land of Canaan before their arrival. And so what God is doing here is he's continuing to form Israel to be a people that look like him to the world. Okay, So in the midst of that, Moses writes to the people and says, you know, remember like why you guys were hungry 
and you saw it as a curse, do you realize it was actually a blessing? Do you realize in the midst of the lack that God was offering something to you that was far more valuable than the food, than the abundance, than the stuff, right? What God was offering to the people of Israel was himself, was his word, was his truth, was his law, was, was his voice speaking and communicating with them that what trumps any other resource you have is God himself and what he communicates to you. Now the people of Israel were hard-hearted in the midst of this and said, no, 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 we'll just take the food. Do, do we do the same thing? Like, hey, God, I, I know you say you're better than wealth, but I'm still going to take the wealth. I, I, I know that you say that these things, that they pale in comparison to you, but, but I'm still going to hold pretty tightly to the things. He goes on, or we go on with some other ones here. Psalm 12, 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. That, that in the midst of this posture of, of need and not excess, there's this movement of God towards you. Right? Like there's this movement of the presence and the work of God towards the needy. And so then if, if we sit in a place of constant excess, it, it, hear me, it's not that he doesn't come, but there's this, there seems to be in the language this constant movement and special type of love that God has for those in lack. And so there's a gift there. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-six: the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Again, we see the, the weight and the negativity of the world, and we say, well, they can have no place, right? Like, we, we live in such a culture that says that suffering and pain should play no role in your life, so how fast can you flee from it? But in God's economy, in God's world, in God's story, there is not a minute that is wasted, regardless of the circumstance. But God says, no, in that too, I... I'm going to use that. I'm going to, going to place you in these moments. Why? That I might then be your provider. That you would know you're not your provider. I'm, I'm your provider. I, I give to you. I move close to you. I, I enter into that story that, that you might know me and you might know my voice. That we might commune with one another. I am better than the things this world offers. The next one, James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Has God not chosen those who are without to become recipients of the kingdom of God? My brain and live forever, right? Again, like, hear me. So, and I want, I want to say something. There's going to be, I'm going to do five verses for each of the three points. You just kind of know where that's coming from. I, I could do literally hundreds. So, so I don't want this to be like, well, we just picked out five verses that make it seem like hunger is a good thing. The overarching meta-narrative of Scripture points us to the reality that God is saying, listen, if you have, if you are in lack, I will move close to you. 
The, the overarching meta narrative would say hunger is a gift to us. Lack is a gift to the people of God. That we might know him and hear him because his voice and his presence are paramount. They are the best gift that we can ever receive. The last one, Luke 6, 20 and 21. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Jesus talk, and hear me, the crowd that Jesus was talking to in the moment, it, it's not 21st century America. Right? This is, this is first century Palestine. The majority of the crowd doesn't touch what we have. And so when he looks out upon a crowd that is filled with people without and tells them, listen, blessed are you who are poor. For you will be satisfied. Just imagine the hope that that would instill. The allegiance to Jesus, the desire to know him and to follow him and to, and to die for him and to proclaim him, right? Like what good news that would be to them. But for us, it's just news. Because most of us, and hear me, that's not everyone's story in here. I don't want to characterize each person, but for most of us in the room, the poverty poor thing is not where we reside. It's not where we live. And that's, that's not to say that's a bad thing in and of itself. It's to say we have to acknowledge that. That when God comes in, and if we sit here in the pews, and even as I read it, and I have had a very privileged life, and I sit there and I hear, well, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I'm like, well, good for them, I guess. Like, it's, it's just news to me. It's Great news for those who are there. Part of the necessity, I think, for the people of God, part of the deep reality of how we approach him is to realize our great need and our impoverishment in areas other than resource. Because again, for most of us in the room, the money thing isn't a massive problem. Even for you students that think you're poor, you're not. Okay, You're just not. You'll be all right. Okay. So we have to look at this text and we have to say, okay, God, but, but God, like, how does this become good news for me? And, and there's, there's two directions and one's going to be in our application. And the other one is right now us understanding the deep impoverishment of our souls before a holy God. That when it comes to character, we are poor. When, when it comes to what we've achieved, and this is all in comparison to God. This isn't trying to label who you are as a person. It's saying God's perfect, God's holy, he's set apart. We learned that in week one of this series about all the things he is. We are not that. We are in a deficit from him. And so in the midst of it, him coming and saying, those who are poor, if we have that lens, man, should we rejoice? Because Jesus came and was born in a manger. That he lived perfectly for 30 plus years that he died on a cross to forgive us the sins that we've all committed and was raised on the third day so that means that we should sing it means that we should rejoice it means that in every moment regardless of what's going on in life there should be this gift of joy that resounds amongst the people of God 
Because hunger even is a gift to the people of God because of what he's done. Because of what we celebrate during Advent, hunger is even a gift to the people of God. Point two, excess is a curse. Now, how many of you think this is true? Okay. Now, I think, I think some of us might cognitively sign up for that. Like if I, I passed around a petition right now, how many think excess is, is a curse? I, I think a good amount of us might, might sign our names on it. If we really believed it, we would have no excess. Do you get that? If we think excess is a curse, like we would say it's a bad thing, excess, it's a curse to us, then we should have none of it. Otherwise, we're just incongruent in our own philosophical view. But I'll, I'll just speak of me. I've got plenty of excess. And, and that you've seen the car drive. I'm not talking, I'm not rolling Rolls Royces in the Garvey household or anything. But we've got plenty. And I believe excess is a curse. I have to ask hard questions about my life. Church, we have to ask hard questions about the culture of God's people in 2019 Western world. What is being communicated when we don't even believe the things we say we believe? And so let's look at some scriptures. Um, well, actually, let me say this. Um, some of us immediately in the midst of being pushed hard against resource and money go to 1 Timothy and a lot of the other lines that say it's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, right? So, so money is not the root of all evil. It's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And I'll say yes and amen. Like that's very clear throughout the scriptures. My contention here today is that I think we doubt how much we love it. Like I, th I think we, we use that as a bit of this like get out of jail free card to say, well like, no bro, bro, bro it's, it's love of money. I know I have all this excess and all this abundance and all of this stuff that I don't really need, but I don't love it. Okay. I'm not Jesus, right? I can't judge that in you. But again, might we ask the hard questions today about whether or not that's true for us. And so let's look at some of the, uh, some of the other texts. And I'm going to tell you, um, it is... It's depressing to, to do a word study on rich in the Bible. Like, I encourage you to do it. It is just, it is heavy. And so I, I got five for you. The rest of, of 1 Timothy says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so a curse, a detriment to excess is you forget about Jesus is you leave God behind. Why? Because you found a new one. And I don't think it starts just like that. I think it, it kind of just kind of drips in. When one God replaces Christ, it's easy to worship that one and leave the other one behind. The next verse, in contrast to Luke 6, 20 and 21 that we read before, Luke 6, 24 and 25, but woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Number four, blessed are you who are poor, for you will receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Here, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Again, again Jesus pressing deep into us. 
and hear me, like, th- this is what I had to do, just looking over the text, is just kind of let it sit for a while, because I quickly just wanted to go to, well, let me quickly analyze my life, and we're pretty generous here, and I began to just try and nuance away the weight of what the scriptures would say about excess. The next one, Luke 18, 25, this one's pretty famous. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now you've heard maybe different stories from different preachers about there was like a camel who would like get on his knees and they would like crawl through. That's bogus. That's not a real story. Your pastor made that up. Sorry. Um, What it's literally saying is he's saying it's impossible. It's, it's, It's just a metaphor for it's impossible. You know how hard it is for a rich person to enter heaven? It's impossible. Again, the weight of what's being communicated by our Lord. The next one, James 5, 1 through 5. This one is the heaviest. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments, excuse me, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Merry Christmas. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Dang. So, so this, this letter comes from James. And, and the whole letter, he's not messing around. Like, he just comes pretty hard. And he's writing to the church. And they're, they're years into this, this experiment that is the church now. And he's looking upon the landscape. And he's starting to see some incongruency with the life of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the life and the mission and the purpose of the church. He's starting to see the chasm that too often I think we see in the church today. We have this Savior that we will all sing to in about 20 minutes. We have this Savior that we adore and revere and love and herald and celebrate in glory. But too often, our lives just don't reflect His. And so James is seeing that chasm form in the church. And he's listen, this is pretty serious, y'all. Woe to you who would so seek gain in this world that you would then oppress those around you. You would so seek gain and excess and wealth in this world that you would lie and that you would cheat and that you would steal and that you would etc., etc. And hear me, right before this verse, James 4, 26 or 27, he who knows the good, he ought to do it. That person is in sin. So when you hear of the neighbor that is in need and you refuse to help, that's sin for you. And then he goes hard on what? The rich. 
So he's saying, James 4, 26, or 27, I can't remember the verse, right? He who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, that person is in sin. And let me give you a case example, the rich people that would withhold helping their neighbor and brother. The rich that would say, no, it is for me. The rich that would oppress, the rich that would keep and say, let me build up my own storehouses. This is the, the weight of the word of God. The last one in this section. Revelation 4, 7. Revelation 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, this is John speaking to the church in Laodicea. He tells them, you've forgotten your first love. You don't even know God anymore. Because your God has become your wealth. Your God has become your resource. You think you've got life figured out because it's secure, because the number has hit what it needs to hit. That's not where it's found. So in the midst of that, might might we just open our eyes to the reality of this? Because here's Mary's story. Mary's singing this reality. That like the hungry will be, will be fed and the rich will be sent away. Like she's singing a song of praise about this. Because she knows poverty. She knows the lack. She knows what it is to be in need. So to find a savior that would so move close and provide and be present with her just cause her to lash out in singing. Here's, here's what I want for us, honestly. Like, and we joked about this, I know I, at least I did two weeks ago. Like, how great would it be is if all of us left the room today and you just couldn't stop singing? It's weird, but it'd be amazing. And it would confound so many people. Why the joy? And our answer would be, oh, well, we just, we just gave everything away. Not that I'm going to ask you to do that, but you should do that. Not to me personally. I get that. just begin to think through some of the narratives. Like if you're talking, and and I'm sure all of you know all of your neighbors and know all of their names and you go and visit them all the time and talk about Jesus. So so we'll just assume that. Um, So in the midst of it, if they come to you and, and, and they say, or you guys are hanging out and you've now lost your job and the stock market is tanked. Let's just say those two things happen. And then you walk over to their house and you guys are having dinner and you just break out in song about the faithfulness and goodness of God. Like, what does that communicate about him? Like, what does that communicate about the faithfulness and the goodness of our God? Do you see, see again, this is why hunger is a blessing. Excess is a curse. Why? Because hunger allows us to point to a God who provides Excess allows us to point to us. Excess allows us to make much of ourselves. Look at what I've got. Look at the car I drive. So you get the, you've heard the line, keeping up with the Joneses, right? So I see what that neighbor has. I've got to get the same thing. He's kind of constantly trying to outdo one another. And so you hear all this stuff. Hear me. That is not what belongs amongst the people of God. It's just not. It's not who we are anymore. Even if you were steeped in it like I was as a child with plenty and excess. 
Like, Verdi and I, where's my wife? Hi, I love you. So, Verdi and I, we had very different childhoods when it comes to Christmas. Right? And I know a lot of you, I got a lot of friends where, like, the families, you buy, like, one present. You do Secret Santa for your family, right? Because you get one present. That's all you guys could really afford. My Christmas was ridiculous. Like, it was, we would show up and there were just presents lining the house. Like, it was, like, we were like, oh, geez, another one. Like, I guess. <laughs> like, it was just absolutely way too much. That stuff formed me for 18 years. I've been a Christian now for 17. And I still am battling that childhood. But I long to live this way. Because I long to know my Lord more. I long for the presence of God in my life. I long to be able to hear his voice more true. At the base of all of this is a question that confronts the church of, do we really want Jesus? Do you really want God? Or do we really just want like God as the addendum to what we already have? Because this last point is only really great news if we really want him. So again, hunger is a gift, excess is a curse. But the last one is Jesus is our fill. Jesus comes into this world, God in the flesh, and enters into this whole kind of crazy thing that is happening here on earth. And it was just as crazy 2,000 years ago as it is now, people bickering and fighting, people dying, disease, famine, it's all there. And Jesus, the God of the universe, who never knew hunger and only knew plenty, willingly put himself in a place not having, or willingly moving into a place of hunger. Like he never knew it, right? Like he never knew hunger, but then purposely put him in a place to experience it. He only knew plenty, but he moved into a place to forsake it all. So what's amazing is everything that Mary sings Jesus, the one who's growing in her belly, would fulfill. God, who only knew strength, would be the God who would humble himself to become nothing. That would humble himself all the way down to death, even death on a cross. He would be the one who knew no hunger, but willingly moved into this world. And so in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says this about him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, so maybe, hear me, like maybe you can make the arguments about the, 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 the scriptures we've already gone over, and you know we only have 40 minutes together, and so maybe I didn't explain them well enough or something like that. But could you just gaze at the life and the movement of Christ And may that be the lens for which you view the rest of the Bible, specifically the scriptures we've talked about this morning. That God, though he was rich, Jesus, though he was rich, intentionally made himself poor. Why? That we might flourish. And we are called to do the same. 
we are called to emulate. When we says you are a representative of God, to represent, to represent him to the world. He presented himself to the world as this. He's now gone, so we re-again present him to the world. And we do that not just by saying, well, look what he did, but that with, and I will live the same way. As an ambassador, a representative, a Christian, mini Christ, we live the way he lived. That though he had, he decided to let go of what he had, that those around him might flourish. Jesus is our fill. The second verse, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the provision for you. I'm better than. I provide all things. You you need not that, because I am here. John 4.14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You want and we fear, will I still have tomorrow? Jesus is like, no, what I provide will never go away. It will never be fleeting. It will always be present for you. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's like we seek and seek and try and get and grasp onto, and God's like, no, no, I am the one, like right now, my presence, you will find the fullness of what you're searching for. You're going to go try and get this thing and think it's going to fulfill, and it will not. Why? Because the thing that is meant to fulfill the joy completely in your life is the presence of God. Philippians 4, 12, and 13, uh, 12, 13, and then verse 19, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, every, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul, I have learned to be content in everything, whether I've got a lot or a little, abundance or lack. That contentment I find where? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. The last one, Revelation 7, 9 through 17. This is a vision given to John, but a day that is to come where we gather in a worship service. He says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, singing, worshiping, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Jumping to verse 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, we we talked Old Testament, God was who he was, 
communicating he is their fill. He is their sufficiency. He is their satiation. He is their sufficiency. He is all of it. Jesus says the same language. In the new heavens and the new earth, when we gather again one day, the other side of death, we will be singing to a God that will wipe away every tear from their eye, that there will no longer be hunger or thirst. Why? Because God has done a work. That at every step of the narrative, hunger is a blessing, excess is a curse, and Jesus is our fill. There's nowhere you can find throughout the story of God that would point you elsewhere. So now we get this quick red dot moment. You guys understand the kind of the red dot moment? Like when you go to a map at a mall and there's a giant red dot that says you are here. You get to locate yourself in the giant expanse of whatever mall you happen to be at. So the red dot moment for us is to ask ourselves honestly is where are we? Like, like, where are we with this? Where, where are we with what we believe about wealth and money and resource in the midst of excess and lack and hunger and, and just the whole dynamic? My great fear is that you would remember the first two points and just really quickly try and change your behavior or feel bad that I came, or even just that the scriptures come so hard at us about being generous. Or the scriptures come so hard at us about, uh, about, about being overly wealthy and having excess. They're like, okay, well then, then I'll just give it away. Hear me, point three is where you need to live. Hear me? Point Because hear me, if, if Jesus isn't your fill, then I guarantee what will happen is if you just live by one and two and not all three together, is you're just going to move yourself into a greater place of sadness and depression and a sense of lostness in this world. Because you can't just give it away without filling it. Jesus is your fill, church. This holiday season when everyone else is grasping for stuff, we grasp for Jesus. That's why we celebrate so much in this season. It's why we sing the songs, why all the hymns have been written. It's why we did decorations for the first time in church history. Okay? <laughs> Jesus is your fill. He is your provider. He is your love. He is your everything. So start with that question. This week, would you please, if you're married, visit that with your spouses. If you have children, talk with your kids about that. If you're single and live with roommates, have that dialogue. If you don't have anyone to talk to, come and talk to me. Let's navigate. Is Jesus our fill? Because if so, then hear me. The first two points were like yes and amen. Where do I give? Because if I want more of him, if I want to be filled with more of him, then let's do this. Let's be consistent in what we believe. And so here's where we land. This, this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the last couple of verses, I told you it was Bible heavy today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, kind of a mini hero of mine, he says this, the celebra celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. It is a beautiful posture to move into Advent 
with this heart of wonder and awe over what he's done. To realize the gap between us and him because then it makes not just the birth, but then the 30 plus years and then the cross and then the resurrection and then the invitation and then the giving of the spirit of God and the calling of the church. It just makes it all more special. I told you I was going to circle back to what do we do then about those who are truly in our world hungry, who might even hear me say, well, hunger is a gift, and say, if that's true, then that just seems foolish because I haven't eaten in weeks. I think the answer is this. Isaiah 58.10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Proverbs 8.27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Acts 20, 35, and all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. Back in 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. And lastly, 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The answer to that question is you. And it's me. And it's the church of which God provides everything in abundance. The church has been provided with abundance and excess intentionally. Why? Because he knows that he's formed a people that will give it away. Do you hear me? The church, and we've talked about the numbers here before. The church in our world, and I'm not talking about redemption, the church in our world, the church in our city has been blessed with abundance and excess because there is an expectation from our Lord that we would give it away. It is not meant for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Advent what the signal of your birth meant, that there was a kingdom that was about to come and be inaugurated that was just different, and it was heavy, and it called its people to an ethic that they could not do by themselves. So Jesus, we, we are thankful, and we just pray, God, that you would teach us what it means to have you as our fill. That the gospel story would become ever beautiful for those in this room. I pray for those who are here, who maybe just visiting, who maybe don't even know what that means when I say gospel story. They would just know the love of Jesus. That you have died and rose again. That you would save us from our sins and call us into service, that the world would know of this goodness that awaits, this joy that we may possess. God, will we be just bearers of that news to a world that desperately needs joy?
that needs to not be tossed to and fro by the, the swings and the changes of our, our world, of our news cycle, of our political climate, of our daily struggles that we ourselves possess of friends and family who are hurting, God, just all of it, God, that there would be joy in the midst of it because you are you. Would today just be one moment where by you, Holy Spirit, we might be able to access that a little bit better and fall deeper in love with our Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen.